Hello and welcome to Life of the School, episode 107. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Massachusetts, and this is our panel discussion show where I like to sit down with my fellow biology teachers and ask them, how are things going in the world of pandemic teaching? That was not the original plan of this uh, podcast, but that's what what it's turned into. Uh, And uh, let me introduce our panel. So uh, joining us from Texas is Lee Ferguson. Hello, Lee. Hello, hello, hello. All right, and our suggested uh, strange question for this today, uh, for this episode is: uh, Does pineapple belong on a pizza? Oh no! Mm-mm. You're just like a hard no. A hard no. Mm-mm. Hard hard no. <laughs> uh, all right, hard no to start. All right. Also, <laughs> joining us from Missouri, from a lobby somewhere, is Ryan Laxon. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks. Hello, everyone. And uh, does pineapple belong on a pizza? I think. Oh, sorry about that. I think the uh, Pacific Islander in me says that it can be on a pizza if possible. Uh, I guess the question is, does it only go on with ham or can it be in, in other categories as well? Well, if we want to get crazy, you could throw some spam on there. Yeah, I didn't want to go stereotypical, but that was where I was going to go. <laughs> Knowing, knowing my islanders so all right well we've got a yes we've got a no and joining us uh from arizona tanea hibbler hello tanea hi from my closet <laughs> from your closet with your muffled clo- clothing as sound dampening is the it's the it's the hippest thing so does pineapple belong on a pizza it definitely belongs on a pizza and i'm from berkeley california you can get any kind of pizza you want in berkeley or in oakland yeah. so yes and my kids will eat it too. Mm. Yeah, my my uh, my oldest son. That's like his his probably his preferred pizza is a is a Hawaiian, the the pineapple and uh, and ham. So so Lee, you are the outsider yeah, in this I'm group. Yeah, outsider here, and maybe that's the maybe that's the Latina in me, and the yeah. fact that I just I'm not down with pineapple. Although pineapple on a good um, tacos al pastor. Yeah, that's that's where pineapple belongs, but not in the pizza. <laughs> uh, I, w- I was convinced you were going to say it goes on uh, uh, some jello as part of an enzyme lab. Ooh, no. <laughs> well, yes, it's part of an enzyme lab, yes. If I were going to eat it, it'd have to be an alpastor. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll eat pineapple on pizza, but I also had um, uh, black beans, rice, and sausage for dinner tonight. So that's a. Uh, <laughs> it was more Creole than than Latin. Uh, I took the I took the I took the Latin flavor and then add a little sausage to, nice. to make it a little more Creole. But <laughs> Quebecois in me has to has to you know make a little French version of everything. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this episode, uh, these are going to be our, our our November bridging into December episodes. We decided we we're going to talk about grades um, and grades uh, of all years. I think this is the year that grades has really been a something that's uh, thrown us out. Um, that uh, really the the biggest thing about grades is they can serve so many purposes. So um, I'm going to throw out a quote uh, from a book. Uh, specifically, it's the book from Transforming Classroom Grading by Robert Marzano. Um, and in chapter two of his book, he, he gave us some purposes for grades. And what he says is that 
measurement experts explain that educators use grades primarily one for administrative purposes, two, to give students feedback about their progress and achievement, three, to provide guidance for students about future coursework, four, provide guidance for teachers for instructional planning, and five, to motivate students. Um, and I think that counts for so many different things in terms of the way we think about grades. And I just thought it'd be great if we could start by talking about sort of the journey we've gone on in our grading philosophy since we started teaching, since we have all this diverse background. And so I'm gonna start with you, Tanea. Um, Tanea, how has your grading philosophy changed during your career? I would say my first year teaching when I was thrown into the classroom <laughs> and I had no experience and no student teaching and I was hired two weeks before school, <laughs> I just uh, did whatever you know somebody like suggested I do. So I was just trying to survive and it wasn't really about what was, you know, best, most equitable or anything like that. And now I'm really focused on um, what is like, why are the students in my room? What are they supposed to be um, learning? How am I supposed to support them? Uh, what is motivation supposed to even be like? Should I be motivating them or should they be self-motivated? Um and am I penalizing students for having different home life situations? Yeah. Um, I've been thinking a lot about all of this. Like, should we grade learning? Or should when someone's in the process of even like trying to wrestle with an idea, should we even be grading them at that point? Um, so I'm in transition, I would say, to becoming a more equitable, um, less grade-focused teacher and more about... Um, you know, helping students grow type of teacher. I'm not there yet, 100%, but I'm working on that. Wow. That, that, that phrase you just threw out there, should we grade learning, was such a, like, like we could just dump the whole show and just spend the whole time talking about that, <laughs> that, that sentence because it's so, that's so meaty. Um, like, can, can I add something in there? Yeah, go ahead. Like, like my son will tell me he has homework, and then he'll tell me his homework is graded. And I'm like, but did, I mean, and then the teacher will give you a zero if you didn't turn it in before they went over the assignments. And I'm like, but wait, isn't the homework supposed to help you practice and learn how to do the concept? So why are you being graded and penalized for trying your best to learn? And then like, or even if you're reading a book, like if you're reading a book and you're learning how to analyze a novel, why are you being graded on the novel? on what you read when you haven't had a discussion with the class and learned how to analyze it yet. But yet everything they do, and this is like eighth grade and I'm a parent. And so I'm coming from a parent perspective too, but mm -hmm. it just pisses me off that everything they do is graded. And I'm like, you don't have to grade everything. Like give, like, why don't you spend some time teaching my kid yes. how to do something, have him grow, show that he actually has improved and then grade him. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that there's like, there's so much wrapped in there when, when you said that, and Lee, you got a nice reaction out of that. Oh, <laughs> okay. yeah. oh I, I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I have lots of strong feelings about people who grade every little thing that they put in front of kids. Mm -hmm. And, and I can wait my turn. 
second by because, because yeah. yeah well and, and I will say that you know you, you mentioned that briefly but for me like I I am not somebody who grades everything but because of how we've transitioned and I'll talk more about this later um, I found myself falling into that trap because of the fact that so much is digital and so much is in the LMS and so much you can I use Google classroom as opposed to Canvas, but it's a very similar, like when you assign things through these digital platforms, you have a place to put a grade. And I didn't realize it, but I'm like three weeks in the class and suddenly I have like six things that I, w- I had put down that I was grading every week. And I was like, I don't want to grade six things every week. And they're not all in, they, some of them just sort of what Tanae was saying, like some of them is I want them to go experience this thing so that it will prepare them for something that we'll do later. And I don't need to grade that. They just need to do it in preparation. And it gets, but it gets really confusing as we like start to parse out what, what is the purpose of every particular assignment and how do we assign those with clarity and then what in that should be graded. That's, it's, it's complicated and nuanced. And when you get into this weird space of uh, running classes in a different way, um, I found myself making what, what I call just mistakes <laughs> in how I was, how I was organizing my class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and if you and if you want me to grade something and actually have it be meaningful, then maybe you should give me less students and <laughs> more time and just to sit with kids one on one. And so I haven't figured that out. So my I'm not like speaking here and saying that I'm perfect. I'm far from perfect, but I'm at least conscious and aware that I need to make some adjustments. So I'm trying to be very flexible. All right. Well, uh, so Ryan, uh, how about you? How has your grading philosophy changed during your career? I guess I shouldn't be so presumptive that it has, but I just assume it has. But, you know, in what ways has your grading philosophy changed uh, during your career? Well, um, just like Tanea, I I started off very traditional. Um, I was giving participation points and late penalties just because that's what was always done to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as I learn more and more about the purpose of grading, I started to scale back and realize, the, you know, why are we giving these students grades that we're trying to help them develop? So the analogy I give with my kids is if I teach you how to throw a curveball, I'm not going to immediately put you in the World Series and expect you to throw a curveball. I'm going to expect you to practice that in a low stakes situation before we really throw you into the game. So same thing, like kind of what Tanea was saying with her children. If I'm, if I just taught you something, it doesn't make any sense for me to grade you on that um, immediately. It makes more sense for me to give you some some more formative assessments, some more practice, and then after a while, see how you're doing on that concept. And so that's kind of how my uh, grading has evolved. I, I will say. I'm very against grading behavior. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, if, if a kid is caught cheating, giving them a zero immediately, even if they know the information, I, I'm, I'm kind of iffy about. Um, but I do have a class, uh, my public health class, where I actually do give behavior grades. And I put a link to a, a list of skill building blocks that I work with in that class. So I actually have a rubric that I use for grading behavior, but that's completely separate from grading content. That's, it's interesting. Is that, be, is, is the, is the fact that you have a, um, a behavior grade because it's part of some special program or is it from like a philosophy that you've built up over time for that particular course? 
Um, it, it is more philosophical. Um, this is an elective course. It is a third science for students who just need the third science to graduate in Missouri. Um, I am trying to get them ready for the real world where you talk to um, HR, if you talk to um, bosses in general, they say the biggest problems that kids have when they hire them is not showing up or not communicating. And I'm trying to get them ready but I don't want, I, I don't want to penalize a content grade for that while still teaching them that lesson. Mm -hmm. So I built this behavior grade separately so that I could help them get some 21st century skills and get feedback on those 21st century skills um, while still learning content. Okay. All right. Well, Lee, how about you? You already sort of said that you have feelings. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but before we get into all of the feelings, um, which, mm -hmm. I mean, we, we certainly can get into, you know, our general philosophies, but, um, you know, we're, we're contemporaries. Um, is your journey about your greeting philosophy changing similar to what we've seen from from Ryan and Tanea? Oh, for sure. I mean, because when I first started out, it was, okay, I'm just going to grade First of all, I'm going to grade everything that I see, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I didn't know any better. I mean, I, I went through a traditional teaching um, program where we were, you know, the, and that's not one of the things that you're taught. You know, you, you are not taught anything really, or at least I wasn't in the late 90s, taught anything really about assessment, about, you know, what should be graded, you know, how should I grade, none of that. I kind of had to learn that as I went along. And so, you know, having been trained and, and mentored by some really old school folks, you know, it's just like, okay, you're going to grade this. You're not going to take late work. You're not going to, you know, you're going to penalize it. You're going to give them a zero if they turn it in late. You know, you're not going to accept it, blah, 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 blah. And so that was my practice for many, 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 many years. And it's <laughs> been probably within the last 10 years that it's changed considerably. And I think it's changed even more so in the last three or four years. Um, and it's still evolving. I mean, the more I read and the more I learn from peers who are moving toward, you know, gradeless classrooms and things of that nature, the more I realize, you know what, this is actually better for kids, you know, because now we're trying to get, we're trying to get students to focus on learning, but not grades. Well, then teachers have to focus on that too. And, 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 you know, unfortunately school systems have, you know, like in my district, we have some regulations about how many grades you can, you have to take in a, in a quarter, um, you know, that no one grade can count more than a certain percentage of the student's grade. Um, okay. Yeah. And so we've got to consider the fact that not all of us, you know, come from systems that allow a lot of freedom in terms of grading. And, and that, you know, some of us work in systems where we're, we're constrained by regulations that don't allow us to really, truly grade how we want. And, and so, you know, for me, it's, you know, now, you know, I've kind of changed a little bit of my practice because of pandemic, but not the philosophy so much. Uh, because I think that, you know, prior to all of, you know, COVID and whatnot, you know, my team and I were moving in the right direction. You know, we mm -hmm. were headed in the right direction. And that change has come only because, you know, I got a new teammate about three years ago who was very big on um, standards-based grading. And um, she she is very well versed in Ken O'Connor's work about standards-based grading and, hmm. and all of this. And uh, the book that she recommended to me is a book called a toolkit for grading. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's actually one of my books to read as a professional goal of mine this year is to, to read that book and to kind of learn from it so that I can start kind of building my classroom toward a standards based, you know, uh, you know, standard assessments and standard based grading. Um, and so, you know, having her on my team and having her to help me realize, oh, hey, <laughs> maybe the way you were grading things before was probably not the best practice, you know, not best for kids, you know. And so, you know, having having her insight to kind of help me open my eyes and see, yeah, maybe it really wasn't good that I was doing this. And mm-hmm. maybe it really wasn't good that I was adjusting scores like this because it doesn't do anybody any favors. And, and so, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, a grade is one of the, to me, a grade is just not an accurate indicator of what a student knows and can do. They, they never have been, in my opinion, you know, because, you know, and I use myself as an example with my students. I'm like, look, you know, I, I had fantastic grades in high school, you know, got into college, went to college. And when I graduated college, my GPA was horrible. You know, so my high school GPA would not have, would have indicated to you, oh yeah, you're going to be great in college. You're going to get, you know, this grade point average and da, da, da. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> and, and, and then when I graduated with my undergrad, you know, my undergrad GPA was not an indicator of what I was capable of doing. You know, my grades right. there were not, were definitely not an indicator of what I'm capable of, you know, and unfortunately when I was you know, looking for jobs at first, um, there was actually a school district that I interviewed with a local school district, uh, not the first one that I worked with, because they hired me only because I think (laughs) that I I, I grew up in the system. You know, I grew up in the system. I had student taught at my old high school. Um, My science coordinator had been my AP biology teacher. And so they're like, oh yeah, we'll hire you. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm glad that they gave me opportunity. But when I tried to leave the district for another district, this other district actually asked me about my undergraduate GPA and like, wow. why were my grades that way? And this was after I had actually been named secondary teacher of the year in the school district I was working in. And I'm like, clearly wow. my grades are not indicative of my ability to teach. You know, you're, you're trying to penalize me for decisions I made when I was 19 years old, you know, and now I'm 27. <laughs> why are we so hung up on this? This is stupid. <laughs> You know, this is really dumb. And so that was probably the first experience I ever had that that really showed me, yeah, grades are just not the best indicator of what kids are able to do. And so I'm hoping that with the changes that we've made and that I've made in the last few years, that those grades are becoming more accurate. I mean, I still don't think they're 100% accurate, but that they are a more accurate indicator of, you know, what kids know what what they've mastered what learning they've actually you know been able to master you know and and the thing is is that you know i think sometimes there is a misunderstanding of what mastery truly is you know um you know because we have a we have a a group of teachers at school who do what they call mastery learning and i don't know you know and 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 it's a self they call it a self you know mastery learning it's a self-paced course for um anatomy and phys and basically the kids sit in front of canvas modules and then every once in a while they're doing a lab at different times. Like when they're dissecting, I think they all have to do it at the same time, but it's like, what are they actually learning? And do they actually have an understanding of these concepts in anatomy or are they just kind of racing through to get done so that they can finish, so they can use the rest of their time in the semester to do other things? You know, because these kids could hypothetically finish a semester in the first quarter if they wanted to, the way that they have, yeah, the way they have the course set up. 
And, you know, we've talked briefly about moving toward a mastery system like that in AP, and I'm fighting it because I don't think that it would work very well. You know, I mean, the, the name of the program, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what we call what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It matters how it impacts students. And like right now, I feel like grades kind of are, I could probably predict, oh, this kid, you know, always turns things in and, you know, does this and that. So based off of how I'm grading, this kid's probably going to get an A or this, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like without, even without giving kids final exams, I could probably say, oh, this kid's probably going to end up with an A in my class. But then sometimes I'm thinking, what am I actually grading? Am I grading them based on, is it like breaking down based on their socioeconomic status? Mm-hmm. Or is it their home situation that I'm grading? Mm-hmm. Is it if they have parents helping them? I I don't know sometimes, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, exactly. And if I cut all that nonsense out, and I just focused on like their understanding of the content and their ability to do things on their own, express their ideas themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe the grades would shift. Yeah. So Lee, so, if you yeah. don't mind me asking, you, you yeah. said that in that, in that method for your anatomy and physiology teachers, that mm-hmm. if a kid, the a kid could hypothetically be done with the entire year after the first quarter. Well, they do it by semester only. They do it by semester only because that's how it's set up in Canvas. Okay. And because we have kids that switch teachers between first and second semester, they can only set it up a semester at a time. Got it. So hypothetically, they could finish fall semester by the end of the first nine weeks. Okay. Um, I guess. So the rest of the the rest of the semester, they're not working on anatomy. They're doing something entirely different. Like they're still enrolled in the class, but they could be doing their homework for other classes at that point. Sure. And yeah. And you were saying that you disagree with that? Because, well, and here's why. Because they're not allowed to progress to the second semester until second semester. Ah. And so there's no, conti- there's no continuity, right? Got so it. there's a gap. There's at least a nine-week gap between first semester and second semester. Got it. You know, and I think that's only set up because of the way the system is set up. You know, I'm sure that if they could set it up to where second semester material was available first semester, they probably would. Okay. You know, they probably and are the it. assessments all, are they always on Canvas? They're always in Canvas. They're always like multiple choice, choice type yeah. assessments. They're always multiple choice. Yeah. So, I mean, and they have multiple opportunities to do each assessment, you know? And so, I mean, and I'm only telling you what I know just based on what I've observed through my students who also take that class or have taken that class. And, you know, they remember some stuff. But I'm like, I, I, I just, I wonder, like, how much are they actually learning? You know, how much are they actually retaining? Because I don't see a lot of application. And to me, A&P is one of those courses that you would think would have plenty of opportunities for application. You know, sure. um, Chris Baker, I know, and Ryan, do you follow Chris Baker on Twitter? I do. He teaches. Yeah. So you've seen the stuff that he does with his kids. And I look at the stuff he does with his A&P kids and I'm like, dang, those kids could, that that's legit. I mean, he's teaching them like EMT stuff, but he's putting it in the context of anatomy. And I'm like, that is what an A&P class should be like, mm-hmm. you know, because he's making it practical. He's making it relevant, like super relevant rather than, okay, I'm just going to have to, you know, do this encyclopedic memorization of, um, you know, stuff that, you know, yeah, I'm going to eventually take anatomy again in you know, nursing school, for example, because a lot of the kids that go through that course end up being nursing students, Um, you know, and so I, 
like I said, I have no idea what what all these kids retain, you know, if they retain anything. So your issue is not so much that they can work at their own pace, but it's more so that yeah. their assessments are faulty. It seems like it, you know, yeah. it just, it seems like it. And so or what skill, like what skills are they developing by being in that class? Right, yeah. right. Exactly. It, it sounds to me like, I mean, one of my dilemmas and I, you know, to follow up with what you guys said, my, I started out very traditional as well. High stakes tests, no revision, points off for late work. You know, I think I, I would best describe and I'm a little embarrassed to say it, but we're all learners. And so we've mm-hmm. all gone on a journey. When I look back at sort of my first 10 years teaching, my grading policy was very much an extension of behavior modification. Um, I gave lots of points for compliance to being the type of student I wanted in my room mm-hmm. um, and a lot of penalties if you weren't that type of student. Right. And and again, sort of going to Tanea's point, like some of those things may not have been in the control of the student. They were more about, you know, their, you know, it could be the, the stability of their home life, the, the, their socioeconomic status. It could be any number of different issues that, that led to that. Um, but really, I was rewarding kids who were good at school and penalizing kids that weren't. And that the compliance piece, if you have like a mastery-based system that's self-paced, uh, but is rewarding solving the system more than learning concepts mm-hmm. to be retained, then you're just incentivizing learning how to master that system. And it sounds mm-hmm. like that, that you know, mastery, the as you described, it, sort of mastery-based system, as you understand it or as you see it, mm-hmm. is more about becoming compliant and proficient at that system rather than understanding necessarily anatomy or science. Right, which is why I think that, I think the definition of mastery is... Um, not well understood sometimes, you know, because it's like, well, you know what, like you just said, what are they mastering? Are they mastering how to game the system or are they mastering the actual content, you know? And ideally we want them to master the content, not how to manipulate the system so that it works out in their favor, you know? And and then another question is who decides what the content is and what a good student is right? and what the curriculum is. So then, then, then it gets into a whole other discussion. Exactly. I could, we could talk about this all day. We could do <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we could pull some of these pieces out where we maybe decide, you know, for me, I, I guess the, the, the thing that I was thinking as you were talking is that, you know, the, the point at which I started to make my shift in my grading was when I realized that I wanted students to learn, but I also did a lot of things that helped rank and sort my students. But I, I didn't I don't want to rank and sort my students. I don't really care about my students. I don't need to sort my students into the best, the second best. I like I don't need a hierarchy of my students. Like I have no need for that. Mm-hmm. And it really is about their own individual journey. And once I came to understand that some of the things that I did in my class were focused on the learning, but some of them were also being skewed towards ranking and sorting my students to figure out who was the best at the thing that we were doing, who did it the fastest, who did it the most perfect the time they handed it in without revision, but doing it on time. And and once I started to come to grips with that, it started to really make me question some of the things that I I, I do and really sort of set me down the road towards my current grading philosophy. So, so with that, Ryan, 
what's your grading philosophy? Uh, <laughs> assuming that we're not in a pandemic. Right. So, I mean, I, I would say that I want grades, if, if we have grades, to reflect learning, as we've been talking about. I do not want them to reflect behavior. Um, I do not want them to reflect things that are out of their control, like, again, what we've been talking about. I, I, I want it to... Um, I, I want their grade to indicate how much um, learning has occurred. Now, of course, th there are um, inequities in assessment, inequities in assignments and things of that nature. So I, I do my best to make them as equitable as possible. But of course, the, the quote unquote worth points are mm -hmm. things that are um, not I'm not giving them to students until they've had adequate time. To, so basically, I, I don't want kids to have to show mastery right when they learn a concept. I want them to be able to go through that journey and um, learn without without um, fear of reprisal. I, I want them to be able to um, build and build and build and understand that learning is is cumulative. It is not just arbitrary yeah I, I guess my question for for all of you as i've been as i've been moving down this pathway i find that my students are so point conditioned yes. that oh, yes now that i've been doing things that are they can revise things they that i i don't really care about the points um and i've sort of moved in that direction but my students are super point conditioned that i feel like i keep answering the same questions over and over again about points and i'm like no the reason that i said that this isn't complete or that needs work is because this is the concept so but they're asking me questions about points and i'm talking back at them about the concepts and i feel like there's a lot of crosstalk <laughs> so i don't know if you guys see the same thing absolutely Yes, definitely. Yeah. I was going to say because they're so they're so used to being motivated by grades, you know, and that's the thing is that you know that's the, that's the thing that sticks out about that quote from Marzano about grades being used as motivators. When you know, I mean, yes, I understand that that's a, a, a nice carrot, but the problem is is because they become so focused on the number, you know, and, and, and here in Texas, because of the way we do college admissions, I mean, I think that, that that actually hurts our students more than it helps them. I mean, I don't know if y'all are familiar, but here in Texas, if you are in the top 10% of your graduating class, you gain automatic admission to most of the state's universities. Mm. And it's top seven, I think it's like either top six or 7% to get into UT and A&M. Um, and so that is an incredibly powerful motivator for students in terms of grades, right? Because here they are worried about, oh my gosh, I've got to have this GPA because it's going to put me in this, you know, percentage of my graduating class. And at a school like mine, where, you know, your graduating class is 1800 kids, you know, you're talking about trying to get into that, you know, top 180 kids. So it makes it, you know, it makes the competition incredibly cutthroat in terms of grades. You know, so these kids are incredibly grade motivated. And so those students are the ones that are in my classes. And it's been a very difficult, you know, adjustment to try and get them to understand that in the end, the grade does not matter. It is what you have learned. And the grade just tells, you know, is a, is a way to determine, okay, yeah, this is what you learned. It's not a very good way, but 
you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to get them to see, look, you know, I'm going to let you revise this because I want you to learn the thing that you missed, you know, or the thing that you didn't quite get, you know, because that's the thing that's the most important here. Not, oh, I got a five out of six, or I got a six out of six on this thing. No, that doesn't matter. You know, cause I always throw this at the kids. I'm like, look, after you graduate high school, nobody cares what your high school GPA was. You know, nobody yeah. cares. You know, I said, what does matter is what did you learn and how are you using it? You know, and so if you can, you know, demonstrate, okay, yeah, I learned how to, you know, interpret data in my AP bio class, not, oh, yeah, I made hundreds on all my labs. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, what does yeah. that actually mean? You know, if you can't tell me what you learned from the experience. So, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's to me, you know, there, there's got to be, you know, plenty of chances for kids to demonstrate you know, that they understand, you know, that, that while they're in that learning process, don't freaking grade the kid while they're still learning. You know, yeah. it's, I mean, think about it like this, you learn to walk as a baby, right? Like you are, you know, a year old, little over a year old. If you, in my case, you were two years old before you learned how to walk because you rolled everywhere. But if my parents had graded me based on whether or not I was able to walk, I would have got a big fat F <laughs> when I was like one, because I did not walk until I was two, you know, and if it's, and if a student is learning a concept for the first time and still trying to kind of get their, you know, head around it, you know, we shouldn't grade the things that they're doing that are helping them to get their head around it, you know, because what I don't understand is these teachers who grade everything, like everything. And, you know, they end up with like 60 grades in the grade book. Cause I have colleagues at school that do that. Like they'll end up with 60 <laughs> grades, 60. And I'm like, okay, we only have 15 days or not 15 days, but like 20 days in a grading period. Right. Cause we only see our kids every other day. And I'm like, yeah. what the crap? I mean, that's like three <laughs> things a day, three things a day. And I'm like, what do these things mean? I mean, because if you're grading 60 things, assuming you're grading 60 things, what does each one of those mean? You know, and, and what is that to, you know, cause to me, if everything is graded, nothing is meaningful. You know, absolutely nothing has meaning. And what does that tell kids? That tells kids, you know what? I could hypothetically not do one third of the work in this class and still earn a passing grade, <laughs> right? So I'm not yeah. doing my best work for you because I'm gaming the system. And some kids do that. You know, some kids will only do what they have to do to get by because there are so many grades that they're like, okay, you know what? If I just don't turn this, 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 or this in, I can still make a 70 because in Texas, a 70 is passing. And so, you know, it's like, okay. And at that point, what are you teaching your students? You know, you're, you're teaching them something I think that is not intended, which is, oh, hey, here's the system I can game and I'm going to do it, yeah. you know, because you have set up a system. Yeah. You have set up a system in which most of the things we're doing are meaningless, you know, and, and, and then what, and then what now it's compliance. Now I'm grading compliance. I'm not grading but, for engagement, you know, or don't you, think like, don't you think like our whole society is kind of moving in this direction with like parents being super like concerned about like what the grades are and what class they're in and what sport and activity yes. and special summer program they've done. And so yeah it's work and so and some some parents i i don't know if all parents would even want grades to become 
more equitable because the way the system works, like you said, they're gaming the system. Well, the Mm -hmm. system works for a certain subset of parents. And so they want to keep it that way. And it's not, and and the thing is, it's it's a subset of parents that keeps things inequitable, right? I mean, because, you know, let's face it, not all of our students have those same opportunities to participate in the extracurriculars, to go play elite sports, to, you know, be in, you know, clubs and whatever that cost money and, and whatnot. And, and so they have to rely on their grades. And if the, and if the system is set up such that, <clears throat> excuse me, you have students who can manipulate it and, and still get by and, the, and these students don't, I mean, what does that tell them? It doesn't matter how hard I work. I'm still not going to get where I want to be. Yeah you know, and it's, it's just, it's not right. It's not fair. And, and, you know, the thing is, is like in, in my practice, you know, I grade as little as possible, not because I hate grading. Cause don't get me wrong. I, I do hate grading. It's the bane of my existence as a teacher, but I want each assignment that my kids do to have meaning. It's like, okay, look, I'm grading you on this, 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 and this, because you should have mastered these things. And this thing is going to tell me that. You know, this thing is going to tell me that you understand these concepts and so on and so forth. And so as a consequence, I might only have six or seven grades in a nine week period, you know, and that's I I need to get to that point. I'm not there yet. Yeah. But I'm I I just I think I need to have somebody like I'm going to do like I'm I'm presenting on grading. I'm like I know like what the issues are and what Mm -hmm. things are equitable, what things aren't equitable. But actually, right. like sitting down, having someone to like hash through that with me mm-hmm. for AP Bio or for Honors Bio, I just um, haven't had the time to do that. So I'm just being more flexible until right. I get my get it wrapped around my head. But I right. I was I I wish that when I went to high school, like if I could say this is my dream to be um this is my dream grading philosophy. Mm-hmm. I would like that students could build portfolios. Like yes. uh, they, they're building something that shows the skills and the knowledge they've mm-hmm. gained and their understanding. And they have something to show at the end of the class, mm-hmm. whether they, you know, what, regardless of what kind of class it is, whether they are, you know, coding or they're, you know, able to do a research or they're able to, um, do data analysis or make a podcast or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know, whatever it is, right? And if if the kids built portfolios that kind of showed this is my work, this is how I write, this is how I express my ideas, and then they took that with them wherever they went, I think that would be way more meaningful than this is how I did on this particular test on this day, and as a mm-hmm. result, these are the grades that I have for this class. I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. By, by saying that they need something to bring along with them. But in that regard, it, it needs to be a societal change. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I had to create a portfolio to become a teacher. My, it was, I forget what it was called, but it was like my teacher work sample or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But when I went and interviewed, no one cared. I, I mean, I had a comprehensive portfolio to show that I have mastered these certain skills, but no one cared. I could breathe and I taught science. Me, but no, but let me tell you where they do care. Cause like when, when I taught internationally, it, you had, a, you brought something like that, like a portfolio, your videos, your, you know, all this stuff with you and people wanted to see it. Right. And they asked you like, um, some, some, some jobs make you teach on the spot. Like, sure. let mm-hmm. me see your best lesson. And, um, I just think it depends on, 
on on the school but like i think and the, the older i get the think i think well that's more important now as i get older because like i'm the teacher that's going to cost the district more money probably right right like <laughs> the older i get and the more classes i take and stuff like that like if they don't really want me at a school um and especially like uh, i work at a private school i could be fired tomorrow they could they don't have they don't have to keep me right so if they don't really want me there i'm not guaranteed a job and if i if i was th- gonna move somewhere else i'm not guaranteed like I can't get my foot in the door unless I can say, Hey, look, I'm really bringing all this to the table. And like, here's all the evidence for that. So I think, I think it matters. And I think for like, if you're like a Netflix employee, who's like the company's changing quickly and you're not staying on top of all the, you know, all the, the way the world's changing there, it's it's the same thing for a company like that. Like, let's say you're an engineer, but you have practices from like 20 or 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be of value to the company anymore. So if you can show that your portfolio is up to date, you're more than likely to be the person that's going to be valued. And I, I think that's kind of what I was saying is that we need more. We need more like that. We need more school districts like that who are not emphasizing the GPA or not emphasize. They they really mm-hmm. do want to look at a comprehensive view of the students so take that international approach and apply it here so that our teachers are being chosen based on more than their pulse or whatever Hmm. i I think it should come from leadership but i think that the teachers also need to say um hey like let's have these discussions please like go to your go to your principal or whoever and say I would like I'd like us to at least start these conversations. What's grading mean at our school, and you know what's it mean for our students? What's the message that and the culture that we're creating? Is it something worth talking about and changing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think if you're not constantly reflecting on your practice, um, then you're not doing what you're asking your students to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I I wonder if you know and and I have I have some doubts because of uh just the workload that we're all under um at every teacher and every person at every administrator at every school right now is so buried in work but I do feel like if not now when are we going to come to grips with this conversation um like the, this particular like having the deep conversation I know that there are some people in my building who want to be having this philosophical conversation about assessment and about grades and that sort of stuff. But I, I don't see anybody having like a spare, you know, 35 seconds to have a conversation <laughs> about anything. <laughs> it's like, just go, 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 go. But I, I do wonder if on the tail end of this, we're going to get there. I sure hope so. I mean, because, you know, it's like I said to my head principal when this, when we started the school year, it's like, look, if we don't learn anything, from from this experience you know shame on us you know because this this experience has taught us that you know the system we work within is deeply flawed you know first of all i mean deeply deeply flawed and it is inequitable it is incredibly inequitable and you know the 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 thing is is that if we want to make it a better system for kids and a better system for teachers then we have got to start having these conversations and make the time to have them, you know, because this, this is part of the, this is the most important part of what we do. 
right? Because if we don't step up and say, hey, there is definitely a better way to assess kids, the the problem is, is you're going to allow then, you know, standardized testing folks to come in and say, this is the way we should assess kids. And of course, that's always going to influence how we teach, you know, when- And, and that's fact, about money to, too, right? Yeah, and it's about money, exactly. <laughs> and it's not always the best way to assess students. It's just, it's not. I mean, there are some good standardized tests. I'm not saying that they're all evil and they're all bad. There are some good ones, but they require written responses you know, that more authentic response than a multiple choice, you know, and that is not a thing I think that people are ready to, to move to entirely. I mean, we moved to all free response questions this semester, you know, and, and so far, yeah, it's worked out pretty okay for us, but it's hard. It's, yeah. it's not easy. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. And if, especially if you go by with what Tanea was saying earlier, when you have a large student load, um, mm -hmm. you know, I have, you know, 50 honor students in my two classes, and I am just about done grading, you know, a fully open response, mm -hmm. skills heavy test. And it is, you know, it, it's a bear to get through them and, and yeah. find those nuances and to give that feedback. And what does it mean? So, mm -hmm. all right. Well, I, I think that we have put a, a really good sort of where we started and sort of where we sort of are coming into this year. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, speaking from knowing you guys as a group and, and knowing myself, I think that we would all be in this space without a pandemic. Like mm -hmm. we were all sort of grappling with grading and, and feedback. And now we just have this extra stress on top. And the question is, well, how do we grade on the pandemic? So I'm going to stop us here on this conversation and pick us up on 108, where we can actually look at how maybe we can lead and our listeners could lead this conversation about how not to, uh, you know, let this crisis go to waste um, and, and use it appropriately as we as we think about moving forward when we're not in a pandemic and and what should grading look like. So, um, and I would also say, today I was meant, as you were talking, I was like, um, th this is going to come out after NABT this episode, okay. even, though, even though we're recording it, but I, I hope you come to, I hope you have the, the ability to go and see uh, Paul Strode and my, uh, my session uh, because Paul runs a class that he says, my classes are pointless. Uh, he has a basically a gradeless system, if you will, that he mm -hmm. transitions into a grade system. And so, um, and I co-presented with him um, because I have been on that journey myself. Uh, and so uh, he kindly asked me to join him. And I think it was mostly for my audiovisual uh, uh, expertise. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll come. I'll definitely be there as long as it's not the same time as my session. I don't, I don't I don't think so. And I'll put out a I'll put out the episode. But also the nice thing about NABT this year is people are people are going to be able to see the sessions for a time afterwards. They're going to be, they're oh, going to be available oh yeah, like until December or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a little, a window of time for people. Um, even if it's, if there is a conflict, but I think your converse, some of the things that you said, I would be curious how our session resonates with you and what it would look like for you if you were to do that. Yeah. Make sure you, you email me the session title. Yeah. I'll definitely get that to you. <laughs> All right. So uh, we would love feedback on our episode. So you can uh, tweet at me at Life of the School, uh, share uh, what your grading philosophy is and and maybe how you're thinking about grades. And uh, in our next episode, we're going to talk about how to 
how we think the grading changes we've made this year and how those are going to resonate with us in the future. Uh, please subscribe to Life of the School on your podcast player of choice. Uh, you can also go to patreon.com slash lots and support the work that we do. Music on this and every episode is provided by Jake Jenkins and Expeditions. Show notes are found both on the Patreon website and on lifeoftheschool.org. Again, you can follow us on Twitter at Life of the School, and we will see you all soon.